Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we do around here. We just recognized, recognized, Bobby. Uh, I wonder, you know, I was thinking, because Chrissy listened to a Don't Die for the first time ever a couple of days ago. Uh-huh. And, and you know, eventually one day one of us is going to die. <laughs> We're going to say, well, didn't live up to the standard of the Don't Die podcast. Well, then we just kick that person off the podcast <laughs> for not following the rules. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, first rule. That's yeah, first it. Rule. You're out. If you die, you're out. There's two rules. Don't die. And what's the second rule? Don't use. Don't use. Don't you use die, should come first. Don't use. <laughs> don't don't use. die. If you yeah. got to use, don't die. That's kind of where we started that, you know? Right. If you got to use, don't die. So I don't know if you saw, uh, what was this, John Oliver's thing last weekend about the opiate overdose death thing? No. Big push on harm reduction, which it seems like that's the way to go. If that's a way of lowering this death rate, that's the way to go. Like a mass suboxone suboxone at every every pharmacy. Just come and get it, kids. Eat it up. Yum, yum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Didn't didn't, didn't work with the Oxycontin. Yeah, what about, hey, Bob, what about outlawing the ingredients like you had talked about? Yeah, like with the, with the, that's how they got rid of quaaludes. There was some ingredient that they internationally banned. That's how, and quaaludes were great and nobody died of them. What the fuck is that about? Anything that's fun, they want to, no, did they? Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. But, yeah, know, none I, of us did. So that, I was probably so taking the fake ones or something. No, check and <laughs> Google Mike and see if you if there's such a thing as quaalude overdose. I I never heard Ow, of it. What Google? There's got to be someone. There, someone well, got stupid. Yeah, made yeah, up maybe, Google, please. Maybe one person who put two of them up their butt or something. But that, like <laughs> normal oh, quaalude no. use. Smuggling up the butt is a really big thing. Not yeah, smuggling, I, just pleasuring. Oh, but well. no, wow. I'm. Uh, I <laughs> think. Wow, three minutes in, strange turn. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. Well, there's routes of administration with quaaludes. I'm sure that were, you know, adverse adverse consequences. But I, I've never heard of people dying of quaaludes in all of my growing up years. You know, uh, and the other- here is a here's an interesting thing, Bob, because you were talking about being, you know, in your surf trunks and being a male model. And there's this article right here called Junk in the Trunk. And this is not junky news, but it could be. Uh, it says that they in Portugal, they stopped a man color uh, dressed in colorful swimming trunks at the airport. His robust buttocks had caught the officer's attention. And he says uh, they a man <laughs> swim trunks after they later uh, checked him out. His swim trunks contain two plastic bags shaped to look like buttocks all together. They contain 2.2 pounds of cocaine. Oh, my God. Sitting on the coke. Wait a second. Wasn't was it coke? <laughs> yeah, wasn't Portugal one of the places that decriminalized? That doesn't mean you can walk around with two pounds of it, Chuck. I, I think there's always a limit to everything, right? Moderation. 
I don't. But they got to get it. Yeah. You don't think it's what? He was probably taking it out. Out oh. of Portugal. Smuggling oh, out in, yeah, in fake Botox. Is Portugal a part of the EU? Because you could probably get, if think about that. We could move to Portugal. Everything's legal. Just walk around with tons of drugs. Just take a train over to Spain and like sell it in the EU. Make well, a I, ton I, of dough. Yeah. Uh, but you know, again. You anyways, know. you didn't Google whether people die. I've never heard of a quaalude overdose. Yeah, Chuck, can you I do it? Into it. I, I really don't think you can. And anyways, Chuck, so they banned a certain ingredient that was the psychoactive ingredient that made quaalude so great. Worldwide banned. Of course, India disagreed for quite a while. And then it, they arm wrestled India to not producing that chemical. And quaaludes vanished off the face of the earth. Yeah, if they wanted Oxycontin, or they don't want Oxycontin, you could still get Oxycontin at the pharmacy. If they wanted right. fentanyl to leave the earth, there's some sort of, I bet you there's one key ingredient that they could internationally ban, and, well, uh, whatever, and fentanyl would slowly melt in, away. Whatever is in the car fentanyl has got to be the thing, because that's the one that's the most potent, right? And, and you know what? It just says that you can overdose on quaaludes. And by either taking too much at one time or having it build up. Yeah, here it is, Bob. Okay, in ni- at the end of the, of the disco era, 1979, 87 people died um, in one year of taking the uh, quail. 87 people, Chuck. I know, it's hard for anything, huh? Dude, that's like a nothing now. They banned women. <laughs> they should bring them back. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I worked. I worked with a Dr. Blum, he's Dr. Drew's partner, and he talked so lovingly, uh, he's a sober doctor, he talked so lovingly about quaaludes, like they were the greatest thing ever. I never took one. I took one after, like, in the late 80s, somebody said it's quaaludes. It just felt like, I don't know, it felt like a load. But, um, but let, me, let me tell you, so 87 okay. people died. They ban a drug that is so great and everyone loves a hundred, two thousand people die. They just go, well, what can we do? What can we do? <laughs> oh. Oh, what, you know, hey, Opie, what can we do? Huh. Opie. <laughs> you, you'd think you'd think that all you would do is like what they did with this pandemic. You'd go back to the last time you had a problem with something and see how that one was handled and then build from there. Quaaludes, but, but no one's done that. Quaaludes vanished off the face of the earth. If we wanted fentanyl to vanish... It, they would, it would be gone. It says here that more people died in accidents while under the influence of quaaludes than the actual overdoses. <laughs> <laughs> I so bet. What accident, it what was, accident just, was that? <laughs> feeling too good? Did they OD from no, feeling they too good? they high on the things and smash into a tree or something. <laughs> they were just loving life so much they, they died? They were just like, yeah, man, I'm going to fly. Gonna oh, yeah. Fly. Well, That's you, you know, numbness in the extremities. Slowed breathing, increased libido, slowed heart rate, drowsiness, increased? and euphoria. See, that's why everybody loved quaaludes. Increased libido. Appeared to be falling down drunk. It's a- Maybe. Wait a minute, Mike. Maybe <laughs> that's the ingredient they took out, the, the increased libido ing- ingredient. Maybe that's where they got Viagra from. I thought <laughs> you had said that it was the <laughs> other pills, Bob, the, the Oxycontins that were that were taken off the market or something. No, no, it's quaaludes. 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 You could, because you used to be able to get quaaludes, I guess from a psychiatrist is what I heard. Like they were for uh, mood, you know, mood or something. Yeah. They contain methoquaalone. Yeah. Okay. So, 
We so the need thing to here take says, the international ban off of methylqualone, qualone, whatever it is, yeah. and, and institute a ban on carb, fentanyl, whatever ingredients in that. We need to switch it out, and then everybody will start having sex because I've got news for you. you got to see this news, new report. Why Americans are so miserable? Look it up. A new study came out this week. <laughs> there are, Chuck, 25% yeah. of Americans have not had sex in the last year. They're just what? not having enough They're not sex. having sex. No wonder That's they're caught up in politics. That's part of why everybody is so angry. No yeah. Mike, That's have you got the study? Look it, up, look it up. 25% no, but... of Americans haven't had sex in the last year. That's uh, insane. Why live? Why be alive? You know that it's must be young people. Music. There's no good have sex music anymore. It's horrible. <laughs> they put on the radio and they don't want to touch anybody. That must be young people because no, I know it's a huge report that came out. A Americans, that like forty-three percent of the American uh, marriages have sex once a month. Well, oh, oh really? Yeah, look it up. There was a, a sex study just came out. That's I read it depressing. in the. No, look it up. It's really important because that's why there. I believe, and this is a, another uh, kind of. I I get a lot of my philosophies from the master. Pete Weiss, his name is. He's a philosopher in Master East Hollywood. Butterfly. Master Butterfly. He was he zeroed in on the fact that that all these kids um, that were you know suicide bombers had never had sex before, and the whole idea of virgins when you suicide bomb uh, was the was the the catch thing. But ah. if Americans aren't having sex, that that explains all the anger. Yeah, yeah, but, but a lot of down, listen, as a father of three daughters, I'm okay with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. I'm gonna look it up. Mike's not even oh, trying tonight. I want everyone to know. Oh, I have my I have my uh, symptom thing I gotta read to you guys. But uh activity in in America survey sex serve. There's so many sex surveys here. No, it, it can't be look at the dates. It had just came out now. It was posted in some satisfaction journal. survey. No, no, you're 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 <laughs> Wait, are, we, are we really he, <laughs> he's getting the algorithms of his porn searches right now? <laughs> 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 okay, uh, private browser for that. Okay. So <laughs> Switching. It says once or twice a week is 35.2%. Uh, several times a week is 6.5%. Once or twice. So only 6% of the people have sex on a regular basis several in America. Times a week? Several times a week is like what? Five times a week? Four then times a week? Every day doesn't even have a percentage. But but so now go the other way and then look at the age brackets like millennials literally don't have sex. No wonder they're telling everybody what to do. Right. Oh, wait. 46 percent of the participants either didn't have an applicable answer, said they didn't know or plain didn't answer that question. <laughs> so of what, it, of what it question could, it, of did you have you had sex in the last year? So <laughs> some people couldn't remember, couldn't answer. Or had an answer that wasn't applicable. Dude, so America it could be higher. Has, America has just become this lost civilization. It's a <laughs> lost civilization. Do you do you think that that's uh, also uh, maybe during the lockdown, people just started doing more, um, you know, masturbation? Well, isn't, uh, I think there was a category of that. People, the millennials uh, don't even masturbate. 
I'm not surprised. Millennials They're a sad group. don't even masturbate in the survey I read. So you got to click on where that thing came from. It just came out over the weekend or the last week. I read it on, yeah, on Sunday's paper, in Sunday's paper. So, so anyways, let's get to COVID because sex is too depressing in America. So, so, uh, so I have this thing. I think everybody in America has had COVID and they don't know it because the tests don't work. And you now suffer from long hauler, which is 30%, like one out of three people that get COVID have this. And I have almost all of them. Here are the symptoms of long hauler, chronic tiredness and sleepiness. So now most Americans, most people think they just didn't get enough sleep last night. So that's what I thought for a while. Like, oh, I only slept six hours last night. Six hours is good enough to not pass out in your car on the way to work and sleep by the side right. of the road, which is what I did one time. Okay. Headaches. <laughs> I have a headache right now. I've had a headache for weeks. It's in my, right above my eyebrows. And I kept thinking, well, it's really dry out. It's really dry. So I, that's why I have a headache, right? Dizziness. I get dizzy when I stand up too quick. Uh, muscle weakness. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't have that so much. Um, poor decision making. I've always had my whole life. <laughs> so, so I don't know how you decipher that I'm making poorer decisions now than I've made my entire <laughs> life. Right? Yeah. Moodiness and irritability. My entire life, also. So it's hard to say. But here's the thing that really is scary: short-term memory problems. I find myself having it like I thought I had early onset of dementia. Like I'll literally call someone to ask them a question and then not know the question I was going to ask them when they answer the phone. This COVID thing is real. How, how everybody thinks it just went away. You just have to be, we have to be aware of the symptoms, right? And not beat ourselves right. up. So I called, I called Dr. Ju today and, and I told him all the things and he goes, I had it too. It's not a joke. It's worse than COVID itself. You start to think you're going insane. You know, I started to think I have liver cancer because I just pass out at two o'clock. I slept two and a half hours today at, from two to 4.30. Wow. It's crazy. I can't keep my head up. So if anybody else is having this, it's really in inability to pay attention to surroundings or situations. Uh, uh, so, so Chuck, are you following this? This is a lot of symptoms of addiction also. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> for someone like me, for, for me to say that any of that is because of the fact I had the Rona, I, I don't know that I can, I can take that easy out. I, I've always been kind of, but you know what? Not short attention span like kids. Now, loss <laughs> of appetite. I don't have loss of appetite. Oh, I okay. wish I had that. Mike, now you're, you're, now we'll do the segment of dun, 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 standing in line to see the show tonight beneath the marquee, the red hot chili pepper segment. Yeah. Are you ready, Mike? I am ready because I just loved it. I love the fact that our 80s community is being acknowledged at Hollywood Boulevard and they're moving to the arena circuit. And I just, I'm just stadium. really proud. Stadium. I am, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, the stadium. Uh, and I'm just really proud of them. I'm proud of Flea. I'm proud of all those guys, man. You know, it I mean? was heavy. Well, Chad and I thought, I thought the same thing that we, they said be there 1045, the things at 1130. Up. 
I was like, whatever. I get there at like 11.15. I get there. I'm pulling down Hollywood Boulevard at like 11 o'clock. And it's closed down at Gower, pretty much like just par- parking lot. Then I go in the middle yellow lane because I'm so nervous I'm going to be late. And then the USC marching bands in Hollywood Boulevard, there's thousands of people all the way to Vine to, to, to buy where Raji's was. Just like insanity. And I couldn't get my car through. And then I was calling the guy, where am I supposed to park? And I got to the spot. and But I didn't really see how big the crowd was until we were walking through this entryway and you could see it. The people were in all the balconies of Hollywood Boulevard. It was like somebody won the World Series or something. It was a fucking band getting a star on Hollywood Boulevard. That's so great. It was crazy. And you were were standing next to Woody Harrelson? And George Clinton. And George Clinton. (laughs) Is that the most amazing thing? I look at that photograph and I just go, my God, I'm so proud of my guys. Oh, God. (laughs) It It was fun. Well, George is just like a human. He's he's like a specimen of positivity and physical tenacity. The guy was born. I looked it up, Chuck. He was born in 1941. George he's Clinton 80. was born. In, he's 81 years old. Wow. The guy was dancing. We were joking around. He was telling stories. He's the funniest guy in the world. He was talking to Sydney, my daughter, and like joking around with her. He is so full of life. It's amazing. And then Woody Harrelson, it's funny. He's, we were talking about the stars and like how you get a star in Hollywood Boulevard. He's like, I think I have one. And then somebody looked it up and he doesn't have one. And he was like, oh, well, how do you get one? <laughs> It costs money. Woody Harrelson does not have a star. The guy's Cheers is like the <laughs> fourth biggest TV show in the history of mankind. So you he know, mentions when they do the intros of him, they mention Cheers, and you saw like five thousand kids just go, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> Natural Born Killers. All right. Yeah, she listed all his <laughs> movies, just ran them off in a row. All you need to say is the dude from Natural Born Killers and the crowd would have gone crazy. <laughs> yep. Now but you they, were there. Were you were you there with Anthony or were, were you there with uh, Chrissy and the kids or what? what were okay, you I took everybody. It was a big Every, deal. I, I didn't yeah. know what a big deal it was until the night before. Gage called me. How come you haven't contacted the, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce? And I was like, what am who am I? Why am I supposed to do that? And he goes, look at your emails. And so, oh so then I realized like you have to reserve these seats and you have to have show your COVID vaccinations and you have to do all this and you're parking here and you have to send them a resume. I did it all the night before. Oh man. <laughs> really? That's great. You did yeah, that. Did they put your name in on that thing or something? I don't know, but how did but, that happen? I mean, how did it come about? Oh, Anthony, I think. Anthony probably. I think, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, it was a heavy moment once we got out there because John said my first apartment was right up Argyle, like one block from where we were. And then me and Flea and Anthony met on, on Argyle and Hollywood Boulevard. Remember, Mike, where the, where the, the, the teen canteen was? Yes, yes, yes. That's the entryway to the MTA train station. Right. That's where we met because I worked at a bookstore right there that was right next door to the teen canteen. 
Oh yeah, yeah. and it was That's just like I got sober at the teen canteen. Yeah. I know now it's a bus bench with a bunch of schizophrenic homeless people screaming and yelling at everybody. Same shit, but yeah, same. <laughs> Very similar. Mike Mark getting sober and what goes on there now? Well, the Hollywood strip group was there. You started. Yeah. There. yeah, I don't know that it exists anymore. Does it? Does it, it does go to move to Melrose, Melrose and Mansfield? And and, yeah, yeah. It's not the same at a, at a church. It's the same. It's the same. It's not that same in a church as it is on Hollywood Boulevard. Every Come once on. in a while, some of the old crew, crew, crew go. But yeah, I get no. you. No, it's not the same as when it started. When, it it was, was, it was, when Hook was, pretty, was there, was remember Hook? Wild. Remember Hook? That guy was badass. Yeah. Wait, so wait. What's, Chuck, what's the Hook? There was a guy named Hook. And then there was Chucky Weiss and Jimmy Wood. They were all three harmonica players. <laughs> like it was the oh, harmonica. Yeah. It was like the harmonica players of AA together. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, it was good. Remember? It was, yeah, Hook, uh, Chucky Weiss, and, and Jimmy Metal. Wood all played harmonica. Yeah. Spider played saxophone. I know, but he was, okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah. But uh, how many, you know, because like, do you have to play harmonica? Do you have to play harmonica to get many years sober? <laughs> you know, the, uh, you know, it's funny. You were talking about uh, George and on, on his uh, Instagram. I know you're not on Instagram anymore, but yo, like George, his Instagram thing, man, he's always out walking and doing stuff and he's out <laughs> busy every, every single day. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, man, that guy just walks funky as hell Dude, everything guy, about him has got movement that matters he's he's just he's like it's a he, it's like he has an aura around him there's like a light around him and i'm sitting there with covid fatigue syndrome and i'm like this guy's like 25 years older than me or 20 years older than me and he's dancing around and joking around and slapping everybody's back and telling stories and uh, and uh it was just a, it was it was fun just to be around him and then we were around him the next night too and he came out and sang with the chili peppers tell us about the fun or what happened there when when did well, you get they there just, they just they just played a show i thought i saw jack irons son's band opened and then uh you know so i thought i was in for like a chili pepper show like a two-hour show yeah. And so I was pacing myself with my COVID fatigue syndrome. And oh. I'm going to use that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. After about six songs, we were like right up in the front. After about six songs, I said, oh, let's go up on the patio and hang out and watch it on the TV screen. <laughs> so we're up there for like 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I hear the beginning of By the Way. And I know that's a song. That's the last song of the set. Right. <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, they're already done. And they, they only played like maybe 10 songs. And, uh, and when I heard that, then we had to run back downstairs to see the encore. Then George came out and did give it away. It was, it was great. The Black Summer song is good. The uh, lyrics are also good. So that's yeah. one thing. The lyrics, like Anthony's lyrics, the last, I don't know, the last, 15 years have just been amazing but now he has no competition there's nobody that writes lyrics as interesting and as expanded as he does so i just zero in on the because the music is like chili peppers rock rock and roll music but the lyrics are just like a plus 
and Black's Summer, Black Summer is one of the songs, right? Yeah. I think Anthony's lyrics are amazing. The Brendan Death song and all that stuff is so good. I'm just like so amazed at Flea. I defy anybody to find a single thing that Flea has done that was inconsiderate or, yeah, you know, he's conscious of it. They're the most conscious people of their position in life. I think, I think people that, you know, they've been, they've been massively successful for like 35 years. So you get used to being who you are. I think they're just comfortable with who they are. That's when, when I read his book, I, I thought that he was, at least he presented as such a thinking, sensitive, feeling human being. And I know none of us are when we're 15 or 16. I don't 16. think you survive if you're not. I, I don't think you can be that famous and that, that you know, everything that they are. I mean, name anyone that's equal to them. It's only like the bands that we grew up with. They've been a band, mm. an active band, since 1983. They have, they have been playing gigs and writing songs and making records since 1983. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And that's why I'm so it's so proud of our community that was back then. And we all played clubs together. The Fishbone, you, you know, Thelonious Monster, Texan Horses. I listened to him on the Howard Stern show to, uh, this morning. And I was like flabbergasted. I was like, wow, this is so great. You know, Flea's given the germs kudos. He's given, you know. And I was going to ask you, Bob, what, what is the deal with you and the germs? How come you are not really this germs, germaphobe? Germaphobe. Yeah. I, I just, when like, well, I, was, I was, I was still listening to Kiss for one thing. Because <laughs> uh, I feel the same exact way about, about uh, Pat Smear and guitar playing and how he was just such an innovator, you know? And yeah, no, I, the, mo- I, the greatest you know. punk band that ever existed. Well, I never saw them live. I saw the Darby Crash Band at the Starwood, and it was awful. And I guess, you know, I, to me, I just went by the records, and I love I loved GI or whatever it's called. And then that's the only record you got. With X, which was my band, you got multiple records, which, which you know, to me, I mean, if you say the first four X albums to More Fun in the New World, right? Exactly. I mean, is there a mistake in those four albums? No. There's not a missed beat. That, no. That's like five years. That's no. four albums. Yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. so X was always my thing. The germs were already over by the time I started yeah. paying attention. I, you know, I still, me and Keith, like Keith is like, he's not a germs devotee either. And Keith was my mentor, Chuck, in punk rock. Okay. So, I and you know not a bad mentor to have I would say no he, he knows his way around kind of kind of getting his way around and we were still going like we would either go see the plugs or like Ted Nugent like we were like he <laughs> that's what was fun about Keith he's like Ted Nugent's playing this the the celebrity theater we're going to that. And you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> and we went and saw Ted Nugent. And, yeah. and, uh, and we could have gone and seen, you know, I'm sure Cheap 45 trick. Grave or 45 Grave instead, right? But Keith was like one that made me feel comfortable that I still like Black Sabbath. I still like Kiss. I still love Led Zeppelin. Keith was the one. So to me, the germs really weren't a factor. They just were a band before I started paying attention. They made this one album that I loved for and listened to for a year. 
And then there was nothing. But X had made two albums before I even knew about punk rock. Right. And then Under the Big Black Sun comes out. And I remember mm. going to the record store that's now a Kinko's on Vine, just south of Sunset. It's a Kinko's across from McDonald's. That was a record not licorice pizza but like a record uh, forget what the name of the record store was and they did an in-store there and i waited in line it Sam was amazing had in-stores yeah it was but it was on uh, vine it was like record plus or something what were the record mm. stores name the record stores i don't know big what chains. you're talking about it was, sure. it no, was that's uh, what that's what that's what what i remember was uh, a warehouse warehouse records oh it might music, have been a warehouse music there. plus music Sam plus Goody's, that's what it was music plus. pizza online so so they did and i remember i waited in line got the i didn't have money to buy the under the big black sun i brought the first album to get signed and then i just waited on the side street until everyone had gone and I knew what this big old, uh, you know, like Ford was out parked on the side street. I knew it was John Nexine's car. And I just waited until they walked to their car. And I just, I didn't even talk to them. I just kind of followed them. And then that's they not got creepy their car. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, X were the rock stars. Yeah. You know, no, like course, that, that course. was the band to me. And, and I know that, I don't know that Flea saw the germs. I think, I think, he, I think Anthony probably saw the germs. Anthony was going to the I, mass. I, didn't Flea play with them at a couple, couple the germs? Shows? I could have swore I heard something along those lines that there was actually no. a time no, no, where no. he said there sat was in. a band. There was a band afterwards called Twisted Roots that Pat was in and Flea was in it. Yeah, it was called that's Twisted what, that's Roots. When Paul, Paul Rossler was in that too. Yeah, and Paul Maggie Rossler, and, yeah. Maggie Eric was uh, Flea's girlfriend, and she was a singer. And so Flea, I think, played with them. Maybe I don't hmm. know, hmm. but but I remember you know, this obsession with the germs. I mean, John has it. Flea has it. I mean, I don't well, know. You know. I think the, that, uh, that if happens, I had to though, say, I would say me and Anthony are more like X people. We're X. You John know, and Flea are germs. John Flea and Mike are germs. Me and Anthony are X. It's just, it was just amazing rhythmically. And then to have Darby crash singing over it, like in on the backbeat, completely out of time was just amazing. It was, and that happened live like that all the time. It was like nobody knew where everybody was going. Sometimes you were and just so, like, Mike, what? you had long hair, and you had a band called Funeral, and you were going to see the Germs. I didn't have long hair. No, no. I thought the Funeral was like a no, metal. Funeral band. Funeral was a punk band. I was. Uh oh, no, it's not. It wasn't a metal band, Bobby. <laughs> Did you have long hair band. and play metal music in say 1976? No, I played uh, ACDC. I had a cover. That's metal. What are you talking about? What's more metal than ACDC? My friend was not fucking metal. Metal players <laughs> did not like ACDC. They didn't like Cheap Trick. Those bands were all um, considered the new kind of. You Chuck, know. you're going to have to. He's, he's going to be resistant to my <laughs> questions. Chuck interview mike about what he was doing <laughs> in 1976 you were playing cheap trick and acdc and ted nugent songs no i wasn't playing ted nugent songs i didn't like ted nugent but oh you love you love stranglehold I mean, come on wait a minute i've played stranglehold 
with you on stage in Thelonious Monster. If you if you don't know Ted Nugent, well, when you get put on the spot, you have to step up. It's not like I really, <laughs> that song's super hard to play. It's like one fucking note, and the guy got kinda, you yeah. in a stranglehold, baby. Yeah, you there you go. Those are the, the those, way. That's it. That's the whole damn song right there. <laughs> Okay. Remember, Thelonious Monster, we used to do a whole lot of Rosie, too. And then Guns N' Roses started doing it. Yeah. And, and, you know, Offspring used to do it, too. Did they really? Song. Yeah. Bob, we used to do an electric version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. And then Guns N' Roses all of a sudden came up with this, you know, this big hit, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, after we had showed it. Yes, we had perfected it. Oh, boy. He destroyed the vocals on that song. Hi, well, hi, 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 hi. Well, he's got a, yeah, but he's got his own special way, as they say, as the Genesis says. He has his own special way. No, yeah, you can tell it's him. I'm but... more interested in that the ACC wasn't metal. What category was it? It wasn't punk rock. It wasn't it, pop music. It wasn't, it wasn't heavy metal. What was it? ACDC? Yeah. It you was know, just its own fucking thing. You don't. They didn't like it. They metal guys that were into well, Judas band, Priest and and, and and Aerosmith and all that shit didn't like AC, uh, ACDC because he was wearing like a fucking kid uniform and running around and, and it was so did was Cheap no, Trick. So did Cheap so, Trick. Yeah, and Cheap Trick was kind of considered punk rock a little bit. You, you know, know, Mike. In in out. your defense, I mean, things were all kind of jumbled up. I remember, like in 1980, listening to K Rock, they played ACDC, Tom Petty. Tom Petty was considered for a while was yeah. new wave. You know what I'm guessing? I think it's power pop, Bob. Remember when it was like a power pop thing when we were talking about Petty? Yeah, the, that's the Plimsolls 2020. Wait, what? What was? What was before the Plimsolls? It was uh, Nerves, the Nerves. The Nerves. Yeah, they did that uh, Hanging on the Telephone. Hanging on the, the Telephone. Telephone. Covered. Yeah. I think they also had a song called When You Find Out. It was so good. When you find out, I will you want it. I'll be gone. When you find out, it's going to be really hot on you. They invented you- Power Pop, the Plimsolls. It's so good. The Nerves. And by the way, the Germs' first show was opening for the Nerves. Do you know that? Look it up. No, no, I did not. Now okay. I did. Melinda Carlisle was the drummer. So I know, I know my history <laughs> of the Germs. I know my history of the Germs. I just don't. I'm not the guy that sits around you know, and listens you, to the Germs. But you made a great point, Bob, and that was, you know, it, it hit whatever hit you at that certain age at that certain time. It makes it magical. It makes it magical and good for for X. At least they held up their end of the bargain by making good albums for a while. I mean, I mean, Kiss did the Elder, so I mean, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you. I think I've told you the story before. But a friend of mine's a studio guitar player, and they call him in to do a Kiss session, right? And it was for "I Was Made for Loving You," right? Okay, and and. Uh, that's a good distance. And he's song. like, you know, he grew up like all of us, loving Ace Fraley and and you know, like, oh my God, like I'm doing Ace Fraley's guitar. Why is Ace Fraley not here? So then it goes on, you know, for a couple of days, and he's listening, he's got headphones, he's out in the studio, and he and he says, Does that sound right? And they're like, Yeah, that sounds right. And he goes, I don't know, let me see if I can get a better sound. And Ace Fraley stood up on the couch and in the and talked through the through the uh, the you know the mic in the studio and mm-hmm. said 
Sounds exactly like me. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but that was all he could get is to stand up and say it. Huh? He was Sounds a little high, I think. I think yeah. He was a little. He was a little tired. He had COVID fatigue syndrome. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he was, was probably he was, dehydrated. He was dehydrated. He had a little fogginess <laughs> in his head. <laughs> he had a little fogginess. <laughs> but he did and and the, but he had that conscious of thing it sounds exactly my, like me that was perfect huh. well you know ace <laughs> does have a really cool way of playing guitar his leads are really his, the amount of bending he does and the lack of like extreme flash but he can go fast when he needs to i, I you, people can rip kiss apart but Ace is is an accomplished well, musician. Speaking and had a of style. the Fonda, speaking of the Fonda, where the Chili Peppers played after their star on the Walk of Fame, I guess who sang rock and roll all night and party every day with Ace Fraley at the Fonda Theater? Bobby Forrest, right here. It really? was one, no. and I told him afterwards that I mean, I I can't even. My first concert was Anaheim Stadium to see you guys, and he's like, "Oh, cool, man. Oh, cool." And I was like, I was wetting myself. It was me, Ace Fraley, Steven Adler, and some bass player, some other. Oh, the, uh, the School of Rock Kids. It was the School oh, of Rock yeah, Kids yeah. and Ace and Steven Adler and me um, for an episode of Celebrity Rehab, by the way. Really? So you can actually see it. And uh, I want to just think of that. Think of you when know, I I, my first up. concert was Anaheim Stadium. 1976 i was 15 years old i sat in the stadium and ace fraley was playing rock and roll all night and party every day and you know 40 years later i'm singing that song with him at the fonda it was just insane i, I was kind of cool show at anaheim stadium too yeah with ted new what was it ted nugent i think rex i think the band rex with rex smith was the opening band there was a series of concerts around that time, like when the Rolling Stones. Leonard Skinner played. When Leonard Skinner right Prince before they played, died. When Prince came out and played with the Rolling Stones, that was good. That was at the Coliseum. So I'm you talking guys, about Anaheim You guys, yeah, oh, it was, you know what? You're right, and it was ZZ Top and somebody else at the at the Anaheim. At the, uh, I didn't get there until '79, because that's when kiss? I was 12. To yeah. Kiss? Yeah, I was twelve in '79. You went and saw you went and saw Kiss when you were twelve. Yeah, at the an at Anaheim. Did your mom go with you? Who went? With no, you? my neighbor's dad did. He bought he bought me and Brian tickets, and he he had to get a ticket like three rows back. But he he went with us. My folks were not happy. But oh, you so know, that would be Kiss, Kiss so Alive too. That's Kiss Alive too. Um, it was uh, it was I. What do I want to say? It was it was when when Gene was wearing the flat. It was the first time. No, seventy nine. No, no seventy nine. He had he had the boots that had the big toes on them. Yeah, but, it, but I'm just talking about what music they were making. So seventy. Oh. Yeah, no, dude. There was there were totally normally he had like the um, the dragon boots, but these boots were just three big toes. I've never was, focused on his boots at all. I oh, focused I on did. the songs. I focused on the songs. Oh, not me. They were superheroes. But my mom and dad, because my neighbor was a punk, 
they wanted me to go because I was hanging out with this punk guy and listening. And they were like, that punk rock's horrible. Go see Kiss. <laughs> yeah, Kiss. <laughs> yep. They were the safe ones. So, so it was a great, it was a great week. And, and we certainly talked about sobriety and we certainly talked about how lucky we are to be alive. And we certainly talked about how many times we lived either on or off Hollywood Boulevard. So uh, I have lived dynasty in, tour, by with, the way, guys. within dynasty. that, within that. Yeah. Dynasty. That's got, I was nature loving you. Yep. Um, uh, the, within that area from Hollywood, the Hollywood freeway, to say La Brea and that area, I lived in 11 different places. So, Good. and I haven't, I haven't been back to Hollywood Boulevard in five years, mm -hmm. six years. And it was just like, John's the one that started talking about where he lived and me and Anthony and Flea lived together. And then Flea and Anthony lived off of, off of Sunset by Highland before. Then Anthony lived up Argyle also. Flea lived behind the Florentine Gardens. We were talking about like Hollywood Boulevard was our fucking center. It was the center of everything. Mike, you lived Disgraceland is where I always thought of you living. It was right, right off of Hollywood Boulevard. I lived at a place on on Hollywood Boulevard. That was um, that was Bruce Kalberg's uh, place for a while. I mean, I just stayed there with him, but it was his studio. It was um, right on the street where the Avalon is. Or just on the back side of the Avalon of Vine. I don't know the name of the street. Oh, oh, yeah, Opium Den. Yeah, El Centro. Right, the, yeah. right, yeah, the Opium Den. Yeah. The Opium Den. <laughs> then it was called the Gaslight. It was called the Gaslight. And then El Duce worked at the strip club next door. And then there was yeah. a post office right yeah. on Wilcox. Yeah. So, so it just became kind of overwhelming I, I you know i got a little choked up john got a little choked up anthony was like why are you guys getting choked up um <laughs> like <laughs> flea was saying he was gonna go honk a loogie on their star as soon as everyone left uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't say dude there's gonna be bubble gum on it people are gonna go pee on it and you know yeah. They're yeah, going oh, cool. to pull out their wieners and take a picture of the chili you know, peppers. Thing who thought when, the, you know, the super secret song was, was that party on your pussy. Yeah, yeah. When a band that was doing that stuff would be getting a star because they were not headed they, in the star direction. <laughs> I mean, because like even like you were talking about, like before Mother's Milk, like fight like a brave and true men don't hunt coyotes and songs like that weren't. They weren't, they were, it's almost like they were trying not to be radio friendly. They were trying to be this tribal sound of the streets. Thing. Well, we like, yeah, but there was other things going on. Like, see, when you take out all the things that were going on in that era that were influencing you to sound like that, and because then we, as we go back in history, we just take the high points. There's a lot of stuff that's missing. Like Nina Hagen was a big influence on Anthony, I know. With Adam, Adam and the Ants, like we're a band that everyone loved. Like there's a lot of great stuff that went on that contributed to them sounding like that. You get a mm -hmm. little bit of this idea, a little bit of that idea, a little and 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 negative too. Like you don't want to sound like you know Spandu Ballet. You don't want to sound like the Southern Death Cult, but you do like Adam and the Ants, and you do like Nina Hagen, and you just kind of 
get influence. And what happens over decades long, everybody forgets about the Nina Hoggins and the, the ants. <laughs> everybody forgets about it. Yeah, that's right. True, man. That's and then true, your man. music just looks a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, but then, yeah. In the context of what it was sitting in, the community it was sitting in, right? But you're right. Like I got up to LA later, like it was 86, 87, 88 is when I started going up there. But the clubs were so full of so much good music and full bands and people hanging out. And it was, to me, it was, it was amazing. And I know Mike brings up knocking on heaven's door for some reason in about that era, we started doing it probably in 85, 86. That when you first started coming, we started doing knocking on heaven's door. No one else is doing it. Then the dream syndicate became kind of sounding like that. And then they were doing Bob Dylan songs and we switched to, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. It was like 86, 87, 88. There was a lot of bands that sounded very similar, but didn't came, come from the same genres. Gun, uh, uh, Guns and Roses, dream syndicate, Thelonious monster, um, junkyard, or what was the band before junkyard? They had a side project called Italian Sports Cars. No, no I remember but, that. The big boys. The big boys. Uh, the, the big boys. They they sat, they were a part of the Chili Pepper world. That was that. There was that kind of. They did Hollywood swinging. The Chili Peppers did certain funk songs. So there was all these different. I don't know. There was a community of music that all fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. But then really over was. the years, pieces of the jigsaw puzzle get forgotten. Right. You know, I heard the other day, like, I think it was Howard Stern or something that was saying, oh, it was so cool how Nirvana would make it really quiet. And then they would come up really loud and then they would go really quiet. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. Like they invented it or something, you well, know? They, you the know? Pixies, the Pixies get no, credit for that. Jeffrey I, Lee Pierce yeah, did that. Yeah, Jeffrey, Jeffrey early, did it. Early on. He was, he was, a, he was a prognosticator of that. Yeah, that, that, uh, uh, what he did it on the first album on Fire Love. It goes, Fuck yes, um, he did. Uh, it goes, he, he take it down, shh, take it down, take it down, yeah, and then, uh, boom, and then it goes flat shit. on in, flat on top. That became uh, his thing. But listen to the lyric though, he's like, takes it down, and then he goes, job on eating, job on talk, job on yeah. eating with a knife and fork. All I'm it saying is that. They're, they weren't they they weren't but think of a guy from el monte whose mom is a hairdresser who's kind of like an intellectual little kid right and his lyric is jawbone eat and jawbone talk jawbone yeah, eat and <laughs> knife and fork. Got, yeah not, not, really, all that. Not, not really authentic but <laughs> he's got all that stuff from the old blues guys he loved right old and and old and and I old mean, blues and old soul did a lot of breaking it down and bringing it back up but yeah, you know it's always second mouse gets the cheese. You know, the most original people are often overlooked and forgotten by history. Yeah, but I just like, I like bringing it, it up. And, and yeah, you know, I just like bringing up Dream Syndicate. They are equal to these other bands. They were so pivotal in the history of how music in L.A. evolved. Nobody and, brings up green and on no, red. Well, they were just a kind of a dream syndicate kind of world, right? Yeah. Dream Syndicate, I saw at the Whiskey. I had never seen anything like it. It was like there was this guitar, the original guitar player's name was Carl Pakoda. And he just went nuts with feedback with a hollow bodied guitar the whole time. What <laughs> you would, can't really what avoid would, it. <laughs> what would come, what, no, but he could hone it and make notes out of it. And what would eventually 
five years later, be the sound of Jesus and Mary Chain. Swear to God, that's what, what he was doing. He was, he was honing noise, right? You know, you know who was early on in that, that I think kind of invented that. And that was Marcone from Adam and the Ants because he had a band called Rima Rima where it was all feedback guitar. Yeah, but I'm just talking about LA, and that was way out. Yeah, Marco, Marco Peroni, he came up with some cool stuff. He he's underrated too because he yeah. played minimalistically. Yeah, yeah, but but in LA, I'm just talking about. So Chili Peppers are an LA band. They're a they're a they're the a quintessential they're an LA band. amalgamation of so many things about LA. Right, that that mm-hmm. their confidence comes from being LA, like. You know, when you think of different regions, there's the the kind of southern gentlemanliness of REM. There's the kind of you know sarcastic, bitey, you know Scandinavian sense of humor of replacements Husker do, right? That cynicism that comes. I don't know this sincere cynicism comes from Minneapolis. But bravado comes from Hollywood. I mean, I, I, the Chili Peppers just had that thing. Like one time, Flea said the most interesting thing: like the Chili Peppers have had so many, as many downs as they've had ups. That's another thing that n- nobody talks about. There were moments for weeks and months where you didn't even know if they were going to exist anymore. Right. And at mm-hmm. one point, that they didn't have a, a, they didn't have a drummer or a or a guitar player. And Flea said to me, I just have, you know, like Anthony's going to figure it out and just, he just don't you feel like he's just dragging us along with him? <laughs> like, like he's just, huh. he just never lost faith. Like, yeah, we'll get a guitar player and drummer. And we went around looking at guitar players. And what was interesting, like I was so dumb, I thought D Boone would join the Chili Peppers. And well, so that's, that's something. There's a <laughs> that thought. Was, that was not gonna work, really. And when we asked him, I think me and Flea asked him if he would join the Chili Peppers. He looked so puzzled. He just looked so puzzled. <laughs> you know, like that, I already have a band that I love, and it's my band. Why would I join your band? <laughs> yeah, right. And we were like, uh, because they're better. but you have to have confidence in yourself to go ask the greatest guitar player in town that plays that style to quit the minute (laughs) to be in the chili peppers that weren't even a band it was just flea and anthony a singer and a bass player it was Mm -hmm. it just showed how confident and we were really borrowed a lot off of the off of the Minutemen. well who doesn't yeah, I know. <laughs> anybody that does it? I mean, I've rarely met someone that doesn't like the Minutemen. I don't know if it's because of the sadness well, or whatever. It's not but everybody's you... cup of tea. It's very progressive. It's you know, it's like the guitars aren't distorted; they're clean. It, we, if I'm, I think I'm missing something because, like, when I went up there, when when I finally started living up there, let's put it that way, it seemed like everywhere I went had like T Rex theme stuff. Like I, I went up there as like a Bowie, Kiss. Uh, British punk rock fan and I got up there and all of a sudden it's replacements and it's T-Rex and Bowie was like way on the out. It's like LA's always looking well, for Bowie the next. Bowie was making horrible records. You know, well, one of the things about Mark dying couldn't. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> one of the good things about dying is you don't make bad records. 
So Bowie just went into the, you know, tin machine is almost unlistenable. That's so methamphetamine. Tin machine is mid, mid to late or late eighties. Right. But uh -huh. he even made bad records. He made that. He was on EMI making bad record after bad record. David Bowie was human in that era that you're talking about. He was making awful records. The best songs on the records were cover songs. You know what I mean? He found his footing again, you know, later on, if he really did. I mean, did he ever yeah. I, capture I, I, what he did with Eno? No. I, I think from the Tonight record, there was an outtake that's really hard to find where he, where he covered the King's Waterloo Sunset. That was No, but there's a amazing. cover song. The best song on that album is cover song. Is that the one where, oh, Blue Jeans on there, right? That's a good song. Blue Jeans a good song. Yeah, but, it's all right. But, it's not. But, but Bowie it's not was Bowie around. Greatness. Bowie was all around Hollywood all the time, and he was human. Yeah. And he had made bad records, so it was just like not. You can't like idolize Bowie, but you can idolize T Rex because they only made what four real albums, and two of them are masterpieces, and they didn't make any shitty ones. I think there's mm. something too dying early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait a second. We can't say that. Because well, that goes against the a, premise of the show. Just as a musician, yes, there's no there, <laughs> like yeah. if I would have if I would have died after stormy weather. Oh my god, I think I might be popular because you'll be fired. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> we, we'd be having Bob Forest night down there. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be like some sort of in, if me, Paul Westberg, and Dave Perner all died in 1989. Oh my god, that would be a popular genre of music that they'd have <laughs> nightclubs, <laughs> nightclubs that would just play that music. Oh Earners coming a back. Channel, there would be a channel on XM Radio, <laughs> <laughs> and I would be in the Foo Fighters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you well, go. That, I like that alternate so universe. Like that. The, the, there's the, there's where you're really fucked up, Bob. Is you didn't really, die when you could. Living, the living, the living, the living has really gotten in the way well, of the legend. <laughs> it, it does, doesn't it? Because I'm telling you, I was there and Bowie was, you know, people would come by and say, uh, uh, because the Chili Peppers and Bowie were on the same label called EMI. It was on Sunset Boulevard right across from Hollywood High School. And we would go in there because there was also a recording studio, Mike, remember where we made next Saturday afternoon was in that building also. Yes. And and so I remember going in there and some of the, some of the people that worked there, one of the girls that worked there said, um, we have the new Bowie 12 inches. Do, do you want one? And me and Anthony were like, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, we're good. We've already good. we've got station to station. We've got low. We're cool. <laughs> we're cool. <laughs> so like, you are the new David Bowie 12 inch. Like, no, not really. So Bowie had to battle with you know living a long time and making not the greatest records whereas mark bowen didn't have to graham parsons can you imagine how awful graham parsons would have gotten he yeah. was awful he was awful before and so you can post his pre you know he was probably gonna settle in and be pretty mediocre after grievous angel so you know the idea you know, that you know, <laughs> go out with a spectacular bang. Look at Prince. If Prince would have died after Sign of the Times, he would be the all-time greatest artist that ever lived. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm. Well, you know, he, he still came up with a lot of great stuff, but you're right. I mean, there were points of genius with, with a whole lot of mediocrity. And I think that that, 
A part of well, that that's is, because is, you're human. Even Neil Young right. and Bob Dylan are human. Like, how many bad Neil Young records are there? Mike's going to say none right now. Here he comes. He's going <laughs> to say it. No bad album by Neil Young. You're exactly. Oh, you know the rockabilly one. That one's terrible. I what liked about, with the shocking about, pinks. Oh, wasn't that with the shocking pinks? What about this notes for you? Dude, that, that album, this that notes album for is you. So horrible. It's unbelievable. It's got a whole no. section on it. Who thought? What about let's kill the president? Thing? Let's lynch the what? Impeach the president? How about that horrible piece of shit album? Uh, you know, bad idea. So, 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 Chuck, you have to know this. In 2004, Thorny's Monster got back together. We made a record. I don't know how, but then we were playing shows, right? And Mike comes into rehearsal and goes, let's do impeach the president by mm. Neil Young. Do you remember this, Mike Mart? Mm. You were a kind of into that song. I was. <laughs> did you hey, see how quietly, do you see how quietly he though, said that? Yeah. Chuck, did you hear how quietly he said right, that? Right, but but I get it, Mike. We get our we we get our people and we, we stand was- behind them as long as we can. <laughs> Needless to say, I was shot down, Chuck. I did not <laughs> to do that. And I decided that we should open Coachella with The Rising by Bruce Springsteen that went over very badly. It kind of set the tone for the whole afternoon, Chuck. Oh, See, no. If you would have done Impeach the President, it would have been a huge success. I think he <laughs> might be right, Chuck. Oh, no. I, Wait I, a because- second. Write this day down, Mike. Because oh, no. <laughs> I I don't <laughs> I don't sing with my eyes open much, but when you're playing Coachella, you kind of have to open your eyes because it's so mind blowing. You're playing, and we're playing the main stage, and uh, I open my eyes and I just see like five thousand Cure fans, just like what the fuck music is this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. if we would have started with something that could connect with their little Cure fanboy brains like <laughs> impeach the president it might have gone think, over a little that, better i don't know that that might have because that's political and the cure doesn't i don't think they have a political song yeah but they would have recognized that the guy is like anti-bush that's cool right i wanted to yeah, get on the side of the cure fans and i I don't think Bruce Springsteen is the way you get on the side of Cure fans. You should have written a song, say, I cried all night and cut myself. <laughs> Your messiah, Kanye, has uh, backed out of Coachella. I do know that. I actually knew that before anyone else did. Uh, and and then you never know. So I didn't tell anybody for a couple of days because I figured he might change his mind. You never know with Kanye. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to say right now, we still don't know. Yes, there's been an official announcement, but official announcements can be reversed by the great Kanye West. Coming up pretty quick. (laughs) I know it's like in 10 days. Yeah. Can he get it together in 10 days, Chuck? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Will Tiger Woods play the Masters tomorrow? Oh, he's for sure. I'm sure. Tiger Woods wouldn't have gone down there if he couldn't have played. I think he knows. He he. Tiger Woods is going to play. Is he going to shoot 81? Probably. And you but all it, don't know play. this about Bob. I mean, some of you may, but Bob is a fabulous golfer. I am a fabulous golfer. Bob well, if you grow great. up in Palm Desert, you're going to be a golfer. That's Nothing out there but pools, and you're going to swim, yeah, and you're going to play golf. Swim and play golf. And uh, so, did you know that, Chuck? I used to be a competitive golfer, of all things. He's really good. 
the alcoholic right. singer of Thelonious Monster used to be a scratch golfer. Well, you know, there's a lot of drinking in golf. So there is a lot of drinking in golf. And one of the last times I played, I was still drinking. I've played sober too, but it's not the same. You uh, know, but I, you know, Chuck, when you when you golf with somebody and, and they grab the club and the, and the first time they swing, they line up and they swing and stuff. You can tell <laughs> whether they know what they're doing. I was blown away with Bob. Bob, yeah, because everyone so just thinks I'm a drunken crazy. idiot, Chuck. I know how to golf, <laughs> so. So, Everybody uh, thinks I'm a drunken idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, they did for for some good reason. So I went out with Chad one time, and uh, and uh, uh, we played Roosevelt out by the Greek Theater. And I birdied the first hole, parred the second hole, parred the third hole, and hit onto the green on a par four on the fourth hole. And Chad was like, "The fuck is up with you?" And I was like, I know how to golf. I know how to golf. And he was like, this is not fun. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. And, uh, and it was just, you know, I, I golfed since I was five years old. I was telling Paul T a couple of months ago, there's an Indio Municipal Golf Course right by Coachella. Right when you go, you get off on Jefferson. If you go one more off ramp and you turn left, there's a little municipal golf course. I hit my first hole in one on the first hole of that course, Chuck, when I was nine years old. Bob, who get, that's amazing. Who gave what? you lessons? Where did you get lessons? Lee Trevino, the great golfer, Lee no. Trevino. Get the yeah. fuck out. My I dad. My uncle Woody was the what's called uh, the caddy master on the tour. You're making shit up now. No, no, no. My my dad and my uncle were all drinking buddies with all those guys. That's well, I, so Lee Trevino liked to have a cocktail now and again. All those Ooh, guys yeah. did. There was an old golfer before that generation of golfers named Julius Boros that was my uncle Woody's best friend, and. Julius and my dad were at Indian Wells Country Club in the, and they hated young people because they're old and they just hated these young, arrogant. <laughs> you know how we hate millennials? That's how my dad was. That's how my dad and Julius <laughs> Burroughs were about baby boomers, right? So there's these, this is how the forest lord story mythology goes. My dad and Julius are drunk out of their minds at Indian Wells Country Club. Uh, at the clubhouse and these two arrogant guys are talking you know how they're oh yeah talking all this stuff and they got all the fancy equipment or whatever and julius walks over and says my buddy here is like a nine handicap we'll play you a hundred dollars a whole carryover tomorrow match two of us against you two guys and i'll play only with a two iron <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know because they're all drunk and they're you know, like oh sure old man and so they somehow did it and julius burroughs could hit off the drive with the two iron he could hit a mid mid mid-range shot with a two iron he could putt with a two iron That's and amazing. so my dad really only probably won two of the holes out of 18 you know he you know because if you're if you're match play if you, you know if you're two against two it's the best score of the two players right so my dad had like a couple of birdies where julius might have bogeyed or had a birdie maybe once and then julius won 16 of the Julius represented my dad and him 16 of the 18 holes and they beat those guys by nine shots. Oh my God. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. But happy Gilmore. 
played with just a hockey stick. So well, well I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I used to caddy. Story, I, I used to <laughs> caddy. I used to caddy in the Bob Hope Desert Classic. And if you go back, they don't the the Desert Sun really, newspaper. Bob, you were a Springs. caddy. I was because my uncle Woody was like Woody Forrest. What are you talking about, Uncle That's Woody? Amazing. was the caddy master of the tour, and so. I caddied for mm -hmm. Lee Elder, who just passed away last year, the first black golfer that played in the Masters. And his regular caddy didn't show up because the Bob Hope Desert Classic is like the second slot on the tour. There's like Phoenix and they play Palm Springs and then they go to Hawaii, I think. So the second thing of the tour and Lee Elder's caddy hadn't made it. So my dad, my uncle Woody said, oh, well, you know, my nephew Bobby could do. And it was just for the amateur round. So the Bob Hope Desert Classic is five days rather than four because amateurs play in the tournament. So the, the, his caddy wasn't going to get there till Thursday and Wednesday Lee Elder had to play. So I caddied for him and the desert sun newspaper did this, this human interest story about this little white boy who caddied for Lee Elder. This is, story like, on you? this is 1973. I was 12 years old. Do you this still have a, that article? No, I wish I did. Oh my God. That would be great. And then that, I, that is a cool side of you. I, I didn't know anything about. No, I grew up at Indian Wells country club. I don't know if you know what that is. Like, so my dad's really good drinking buddy was Jackie Gleason. I don't, you know, every, oh, every, fantastic. Yeah, honey, everybody knows the honeymooners. So I'm out going golfing with my dad and Jackie and some other guy. And, uh, and you know, this is probably 75. I'm like 14, 74. And uh, they start making jokes about Jackie's colostomy bag. And oh. I didn't know what it that they were joking about, like or, or men's or depends. <laughs> oh. They were making jokes about depends. That's what it was. Oh no! And I was like, and I came home and I said to my mom, like, "What is this? What were they?" I said what they were talking about, and she said, "Bobby, that's none of your business." And I oh. said, "What are they talking about?" And she, and so I remember my mom just being so mad at me for talking about it and pushing this thing, and and just being so dismissive. She said. Your father and Jackie can't control themselves because they drink so much. <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. That's so awesome. <laughs> wow. They can't control themselves because they drink so much. So do you remember what you were getting paid? Maybe like four twenty-five an hour or something like that, or six for caddying? Yeah. No, six. you got the caddy got 10% of their of their yeah, you got like I I I'd make like 300 bucks for the tournament. I can't wow. like wow like but you also if they placed and they won money you got like I think five percent of the money or something and I caddied one time for this guy Jim Marshall and he won like you know like I don't know like twentieth place or something and I thought I was supposed to get that money and my uncle Woody was like you know Jim you're supposed to pay my nephew that money and he goes he's a little kid I'm not paying him <laughs> oh <laughs> son of a <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he's not a real caddy when i <laughs> caddy well, i used caddy. to walk the course with my uncle woody and all the guys go out to look at pin placements like as the sun's coming up to see where the pins are placed and see and you walk the course in the morning right and so and you mark down on on a scorecard like how far it is you make little notes right because so i knew how to caddy because my uncle was like the king of caddies so so i'm <laughs> telling lee elder he's like 143 yards away right 
And then yeah. he hits, he hits um, whatever it was, because my strides are not quite a yard because I was so young. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So he was way short because I have more strides. Or no, he was way over, right? So if I say it's 143 because I walked 143 paces from this palm tree. It's 160. My, it's a, it's a hundred. Yeah, I'm short. <laughs> and finally, Lee Elder just started asking the other caddy how far away he was. Oh, yeah, it was like kind of embarrassing. Oh, but but that was the world of Bobby Forrest and Palm Desert. I'll be there. Huh. So where did you and Ch- where did you and Chad golf just recently? Uh, Roosevelt, always Roosevelt's great up by Griffith Park, yeah. by the Greek Theater. Yeah. Right. And now, I don't know, Anthony and Dougie golf out in the West Valley. I don't think, I don't know. I don't know where the, I don't golf anymore. It just got so frustrating. Well, golfing with Flea, I'll tell one funny story. So Flea decides to become a golfer because everyone else is golfing. And, and clothes are great. <laughs> Flea is great at basketball. He's great at almost every sport. Basketball. I've played softball with him. He's good. He serves. He, he serves. Good. He's really fast. We, you know, he always wants to race, you know, like there was a time where I would, you know, at least I could hold my own with him. Now he's just like so far ahead of me. It's depressing. And I stopped running, but golf was not his forte. He really was a difficult takeoff with golf. So I would go golfing with him and I would hit my drive and then he would hit out of bounds and then hit a tree and go behind us. And then he'd hit over in the other trees. And then finally, and I would just wait up there for him. And then his ball would somehow be somewhere near mine. And I would say, what do you lay there? And he would say five. And I was like, Michael, you hit five. T- I heard the ball hit five times in the wood. And you were, and you got over there in five. So you're like 10. You lay 10. <laughs> so not winning this round. He was like, this is one sport. And I didn't rub it in. It was just more like sad to watch people really struggle with golf. Because <laughs> you hear, because for some reason, him, the JK, they, they hit trees and the ball goes behind them. I'd never oh, seen anything man. like it until I started golfing <laughs> with these guys. Like, and then you hear, oh, shit. And then, you know, <laughs> and like when I grew up, if you're not that good of a golfer, just pull the ball out of there and put it out on the fairway and hit it. Don't, yeah. don't keep trying to act like you're Jack Nicholas. <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah. You pull a Trump on him. Yeah. You know, but I don't think uh, I don't think I'll ever golf. I was thinking of taking up surfing today at, at 61 years old. I went surfing with Flea when I got sober early on. When I got sober, me and Flea went surfing down in Huntington Beach in his uh, Mercedes. It was painted like a clown car. Yeah, like clown and, car. Uh, and it was just so funny because um, because people we were paddling out and people would be like, "You're Flea, honey." Well, yeah, I'm Flea. How are you? <laughs> you know, he was really friendly. You know what, Bob? Get yourself a big old board so that it's it's easy and fun. You can ride any. You can ride the smallest waves on a giant board. Well, and I then see, I, I'm out at Malibu right now. I see people that just—they're not more coordinated than me. Like I live near County Line. There's like really bad surfers out here. 
<laughs> like mm. I, I know good surfers. Like you know, this is not. Hey, this, you know what's a mind blower is Dick Stenny's a good surfer. <laughs> Dick's is a good surfer too. I surfed with him and, and him and Flea actually at County at that. I think it was County Line. It was a big cliff, and we had to go down. It was a huge rock. I don't, maybe it was zeros or something. But let's sign off since we're uh, coming All to right. a close. Have a good night, you guys. It was a hell of a week. Do we have any? Don't die. Don't die, Chuck. I, I'm going to do my best. You too. All right. Don't Neither die. Neither of Mike. you. Both I know you. Mike's, Mike's going to live forever. He's Native American. Okay. Bye bye. Bye, Bob. Good night. <laughs> uh, good see night. You guys. Bye. bye.